Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash stuffpodcast and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a free title and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com slash stuffpodcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Star Wars Stuff Podcast, where we talk everything Star Wars. My name is Matt, and today we're going over the last week of Star Wars, uh, including uh, the 40th anniversary of The Empire Strikes Back, um, the future of Star Wars, uh, as well as all things that have been happening in the world. Uh, and the first thing that I want to talk about, um, which has been on the conversation of our entire team for the past several months, is, um, of course, Star Wars Celebration, which uh, this year is taking place in Anaheim, California, right next to Disneyland. Uh, and um, as a team, we uh, were going to attend Star Wars Celebration. And, um, and then due to unforeseen circumstances, uh, due to the COVID-19 pandemic that has uh, been sweeping the world, uh, there have been a lot of talks of uh, Celebration being canceled. Uh, which or postponed or something of that sort. And uh, it's put the entire team uh, off a little bit because we all are really excited. Um, but of course, are always uh, putting the safety of our listeners first. It's just a difficult kind of conversation to have. And then we talk about the alternatives to having a Star Wars celebration. What if we moved locations? What if we, uh, only allowed like a certain amount of or a certain amount of people to enter a certain amount of time and or all the the consent contingencies that would take place for in order for Star Wars celebration to um continue as planned um in the end of August. Uh now the date being said, uh a lot of things that are taking place uh now have obviously have been cancelled, including like every major sporting event uh and season has been cancelled, all kinds of uh, musical tours and, uh, anything of anything that involves large groups of people has just been canceled, like all over the place. And it's not just the, uh, the states that have been put on lockdown, uh, or the ones that have, uh, basically just closed as well as the ones that haven't closed. Like there are quite a few states that haven't. So everyone's affected differently and also kind of the same by this pandemic and the Star Wars community is no exception. Um, whereas, uh, we just, uh, celebrated May the 4th. Um, unfortunately, um, my plans that I had for May the 4th were, uh, stunted. I really wanted to spend May the 4th at, uh, Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida <clears throat> at Galaxy's Edge with Colin and, uh, Brooke and Nicole and, you know, the Haw Squadron and the Scarif Squadron. But, uh, those plans were stunted. So we ended up doing something here, uh, in Michigan. Um, and now that we just, fit, we just wrapped up the Clone Wars final season. Um, we have ended the Skywalker saga. Uh, we had the first season of Mandalorian and there's not, Excuse me. There's not a whole lot that's uh, happening uh, in the world of Star Wars. Um, and it just seems like it's being highlighted and elevated because of the fact that uh, this COVID-19 thing is still going to have an effect on like basically like the next season of Star Wars, if you know what I mean. Uh, but, you know, again, then again, the Star Wars season never really does end because um, if you are like Colin or I and or if you're like David or Joseph or James or any of us really, you do a lot of Star Wars activities, including like uh, going to Star Wars themed like uh, bar crawl nights or uh, trivia, or you go trooping, or you go see a parade and you see the 501st Legion, or you see someone dressed up as Darth Vader in your in your holiday uh, Christmas parade. Star Wars is present at all times. It just with the past 
it feels like the past like six months have been really elevated ever since like December and leading up to it. Cause we had, uh, a couple new video games released last fall. Um, and then a lot of new stuff for battlefront two came out in the past six months. Um, Jedi Fallen Order, uh, Rise of Skywalker, uh, Mandalorian, and then Clone Wars, the final season. Um, and there's just been a lot of news about the future of Star Wars, and it all seems like it's kind of like been put on hold. And it's been, it's, it's affected Star Wars even to the level of the production aspects, like the Kenobi series is kind of like paused. Um, they managed to, uh, produce the Mandalorian season two pretty much before. So we don't have to worry about that. That'll be released as scheduled, but there are a lot of other things that were affected by this, including the Kenobi series, as well as a couple others, ones that may involve, uh, some small spinoffs from, uh, what's it called? Rogue One. <clears throat> there's a, there's a Cassian series that, that may be in the works, uh, but it's been paused, obviously. Maybe. Um, so yeah, we're, I'm just, we're just a little worried about Star Wars Celebration. There have been multiple, uh, talks about it all over the place of it being postponed, canceled. You would be able to renew your tickets and go next year or just get refunds and stuff like that. There's a lot of stuff that they were, that they're talking about, but there's still, they're just talking about it. They haven't, I don't know. They just haven't done anything, but that's, that's basically all we want to, that's all we can talk about with Star Wars Celebration. Um, cause we can't really, I mean, I mean, all the Comic Cons have been canceled. Like, uh, I was planning on going to the Ace, uh, Comic Con convention that was in Boston, Massachusetts this past year. Uh, but that was canceled as well as pretty much all the rest of them and Dragon Con and all that stuff. It's just, they're like, okay, next year. Um, so that's just kind of where I sit with that. The next thing that I actually want to talk about is the future of Star Wars, um, both inside the, the world of Star Wars and around it and our lives with, uh, things like the Star Wars stuff podcast and others. There are, um, a couple of series that are in the works that we already know about, like the Kenobi series. And there are rumors about, uh, Cassian Andor series or, uh, and there's just a lot of, there's the, the 2022 movie, um, uh, which will be directed by a fellow, Mandalorian uh, director that we all know. Um, and that is going to take place. Like it has nothing to do with the Skywalker series. It's completely unique. It has, it takes place in the Star Wars universe, but it's nothing that we've known before. You, there's probably going to be a lot of things that are similar that make you feel like you're someone attached to it, even though you've never seen anything like it. But the opportunity for, uh, a, Star, a new Star Wars movie in 2022 being based around uh, the High Republic um, sounds amazeballs to me um, just because I've always been extremely interested in post-Clone or uh, pre-Clone Wars era Republic. Um, I've always been extremely interested after uh, my childhood experience with Star Wars and Clone Wars with that limited experience of how the Jedi order is supposed to work, uh, when they're not at war because they're keepers of the peace. They're not warriors, obviously. Um, so the way that the Jedi temples work before the war, like when it was actually a temple and it wasn't like a training zone for <laughs> new recruits and stuff like that, because let's be honest, uh, uh, clone wars version of, the Jedi Temple and the Jedi Order in general is just a militarized wizardry. That's what it feels like to me. And I'm sure that's what a lot of people feel like. It's because if when, if you watch, when you watch Clone Wars, you, uh, you get to see a Padawan learner named uh, Ahsoka Tano from her very first experience as an Ahsoka, as a, I'm sorry, a Padawan with, um, Anakin Skywalker, uh, and she starts her Padawan training literally in combat facing uh, the separatist army. And I just think that's crazy for her first experience outside of the Jedi temple to be on the battlegrounds when 20 years ago, before the war, 
uh, her first experience might be solving a trade dispute on Naboo, uh, for instance, or going to Felicia to see why the crop season is not doing so well. You know, those kinds of things. The reasons that Jedi used to travel the universe or the galaxy, I'm sorry, and they would they would just spread uh, wisdom and they would they're selfless beings. I want I want to see that version of the Jedi Order, and you can only see that in Jedi's High Republic. So I would love to see a 2022 Star Wars film based around uh, the High Republic, and I really would love to see the Jedi at, like, their peak before war times. Um, yeah, so that's... <clears throat> and maybe, like, a preteen version of Yoda would be pretty cool. <laughs> that's just how I feel about that. But yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff in the works in Star Wars. Star Wars is definitely not over just because the Skywalker saga is over. The future of Star Wars is bright, as we say here at the Star Wars Stuff Podcast. Um, there's a lot of stuff in the store. Um, obviously the Mandalorian series has so much potential. Um, although I don't want them to pull a Walking Dead thing. Because like I don't know if you've seen AMC's uh, TV series The Walking Dead. Um, I stopped watching it. I think after season six or maybe seven, and I think they're on like I think they're popping into se- season ten or they already did season ten, and I just think that's crazy. Because after season six, like the TV show kind of for me after like season six and seven, um, kind of felt outplayed to me. And I don't want that to happen to the Mandalorian. I want the Mandalorian to the last like three, maybe four seasons. Okay. Maybe five, but I don't want it to be lengthened past its date. Like, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? I don't have to ask the question. You already know what I mean. Cause we're all on the same page. Well, same podcast, but whatever. So yeah, I'm really excited about the future of Star Wars. Um, so you don't have to worry about that. Um, the next thing that I wanted to talk about, um, today is actually in celebration of the 40th anniversary of Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, which, um, just took place this past week. Um, we just celebrated it and, um, I just kind of have been doing like a little bit of research, uh, uh, across uh, the internet about like 40th anniversary stuff. Like while well, we all went kind of went crazy when it came to uh, Empire Strikes Back 40th anniversary uh, uh, toys, uh, collectible merchandise. Um, I remember we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but uh, Nicole is still upset that she does not have her Ahsoka Tano uh, Mickey ears um that were designed by uh, the voice of Ahsoka Tano in the Clone Wars series. I can't recall her name at this point. But, um, yeah, so uh, if you're a Star Wars fan, uh, you all know, or most of you know, like 97% of us know the issues when it comes to purchasing uh, exclusive Star Wars memorabilia, uh, toys, uh, merchandise of any kind. Because of the the 3% of Star Wars fans that will uh, buy almost all of it, or as much as they can, or allowed to, and then sell it for a lot more. And if you're listening and you're one of those people, message me. But also, shame on you for not letting other Star Wars fans get to experience that joy of buying and having Star Wars memorabilia that is uh, a part of history um, and one day could save their family from debt. I don't know, something like that. I don't mean, I know they can go on on eBay and buy the, what they want for 10 times the market value, but a lot of people can't do that. A lot of Star Wars fans don't have endless amounts of money to spend. I Like when I remember when I was... Um, I think I was 12 years old um, and the, what was it? It was the, the, it was from, it was released 
after Empire Strikes Back. It was probably like 2009, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. And they were releasing, uh, like, the model ships that you could use with, like, the six-inch action figures. Um, and I really wanted the, the troop transport that you, that they were using the Clone Wars. Um, and I got it. It was, uh, it was about two feet long, but maybe like 10 inches tall. Um, it has so many removable parts. And as like, a, I got it for Christmas and as a kid, you just unwrap one of those. As a kid, all you want to do is play with that thing. You want to enjoy the, you want to enjoy and remake the, what you did, what you saw on the screen. Like, so when I, when I, when I saw Revenge of the Sith, I was, I was, um, seven, seven, eight years old when it first came out. Yeah, I'm young. Don't, don't make fun of me. But, um, I just remember seeing, all those ships flying around and then I wanted to like recreate that when I got home, but I was like really young and I was really into toys and I got really into Star Wars toys, uh, which is good for me as an adult, but also kind of bad for me as an adult because I treated my toys like garbage. Um, my Millennium Falcon that I have, uh, let me look at it real quick. I have actually have it right here in the studio. Um, here it's got some damages to it. This one is a Hasbro 2004 edition um, of the Millennium Falcon. It has a lot of removable parts. Uh, it has a cockpit, um, the satellite. It's got. It has a turret on top. It does not have one on the bottom, but it does have one on top. And on the inside, you can actually remove the back panel, which were the exhaust, the six exhaust ports, all the way up to right behind the cockpit. You can remove that plastic piece, and then inside there is, um, like the inside of the Millennium Falcon, which you see in A New Hope, which is that that spot where Chewie was uh, playing that game that I can't remember right now. That kind of looks like a chessboard and has holographics and stuff like that. And then where uh, uh, Ben was uh, training Luke for the the first time. Um, and then we see it again in Rises, or not Rise, but, uh, The Force Awakens with, uh, Finn and, uh, Rey. Obviously, Ben and Falcon's been through a lot, but back to toys, which is what we were talking about originally. I personally loved growing up being able to play with toys. Um, so sometimes making a profit off of Star Wars merchandise and toys and memorabilia of any kind is not the coolest thing to do. Um, but that's just my opinion. You do what you want. I do. And what was the next thing I was going to talk about? Oof. Okay. I think it was, Oh yeah. We were talking about the, the 40th anniversary and <laughs> I got a little off track by like the merchandise. I don't know. I just really hit home. So when we were talking about uh, the 40th anniversary, I did a lot of research and about like uh, the backstory of the creation of Empire Strikes Back, because every time I watch a film of any kind, I always analyze it like really in depth. And I always think about the production aspect because that's just my background. I go to school for acting and I've always been attached to the production aspects and I've worked on some stuff like that before of what goes on behind the camera, what you don't see in the film. And that's pretty much all I think about when I look at films. And now that we had the 40th anniversary of the empire strikes back, I was more than excited to do plenty of research on the empire strikes back um, in terms of the production aspects. And we did talk about it last week. Um, the whole team did in a Zoom call when we did when we celebrated the Empire Strikes Back. Uh, we talked about um, just a lot of different production aspects and fun facts, and we watched Empire Strikes Back via Zoom with our Patreon sponsors and stuff like that. Uh, and it was a really cool experience because obviously our entire team are Star Wars fanatics, and they know and they talk about things that you wouldn't talk about with a Trekkie 
or you wouldn't talk about with someone who like is obsessed with Fortnite or something like that. You know what I mean? Fortnite's a video game. But anyways, I just, it's just really cool to uh, be able to go back and do research of a film that was filmed way before my time, but I can still just enjoy it just the same as my father did when he was my age. You know, it's, it's a timeless thing. Star Wars is, um, yeah, I gotta make myself cry. Anyways, uh, the first thing I did, um, and I kind of started this conversation a while ago with Colin, um, off the mic. Uh, and I'm sorry, you should have been there for that conversation, but sometimes we have those conversations and they're just for us. But Colin actually has the sounds of Star Wars, which is, um, written by, uh, J L Rinsler. But it's, it, and it's, um, and talks about with, and it's exclusively with, uh, Ben Burt, who is the, um, the sound designer and engineer of the original trilogy. And I just got really involved in an article that I found on starwars.com, uh, when they're, they have a lot of different articles that are celebrating, um, Empire when it turns 40. Like Empire at 40 is what they're doing. So, uh, and then one thing I found very fun was a part of the article. And the article at the top, I'll just read it. I can't, I gotta find it. I went all the way down. It's a very large article. It's Empire at 40, Snowwalkers, Stop Motion, and Dumpster Lids, an oral history of the Battle of Hoth. Um, that was published May 21st of 2020. Uh, and this is actually one of the first articles that I read in relations to, uh, the 40th anniversary of, uh, Empire Strikes Back. And I always go to StarWars.com, uh, for information, uh, regarding Star Wars because it's a very trusty, reliable resource. But then I got down to this article and I got to the, the, this part labeled Sound Story, which, uh, follows, uh, the post-production aspects that, uh, Ben Burt, uh, implemented into the film. Because after you're done filming all of the actors doing the scene and after you've done all of the live action elements, then there comes the post-production uh, with sound and um, with uh, editing of the film. And that's a really, really just as important or more important than the filming itself. Um, because a lot of the world that we see happens in post-production Actually, a lot of the world that we either see and hear, because as you know, Star Wars uh, is filled with a plethora of sci-fi related sounds that are completely unique to Star Wars. Um, and that was only made possible by Ben Burt, who has an incredibly creative mind. And then when I was reading this, um, and we'll talk about the dumpster lid, which is actually in the title, which actually got my attention to read this article, finally. But um, he talked about um, how he gathers the sounds that he does and uploads them and puts them into the film and and what relevance they have. Like, why would he take two metal bars and slam them on a piece of rock? And what would that sound do? And what would it mean to the to the film? And then one part that I saw, I'm trying to find it right now. Um, oh, here we are. Uh, there were uh, metallic sounds of squeaking joints, and they were pretty much the dumpster in front of my house. It's uh, it's the sound I'd hear when I'd go out to throw the trash away. Uh, opens the lid, and then it, like, it squeaks and groans. He said, I thought I would go out there and get that. So he went out there with... Um, uh, recording and sound equipment because he always has that with him because he's always capturing new sounds. Uh, um, but back then he had this giant, it kind of was like, it looked like a briefcase and it, it would, it would record, um, the audio on these, these tapes, um, kind of like a VCR, but only with audio. I can't remember the name of it right now. Um, but he, you would go out there and you have this microphone and you would have these giant headphones and he, I mean, if you saw him just walking down the street, you would be like, this is weirdo. And then you come out to find it later that he's uh, recording sounds that would be in your next Star Wars favorite film. Um, 
which they were. Uh, I one classic example that I like to always mention when it comes to creating the sounds with Ben Burt um, is he went up to a very tall uh, um, telephone wire, like a, it was like a like one of those giant like reception telephone wires that are like hundreds of feet tall, and they have like supporting cables that come down each side. Or I think they had like late, like satellite stuff on them probably back then because they didn't have cell phone reception and stuff like that. But yeah, anyways, he uh, walked up to one of them, um, and he was actually with uh, the production coordinator, uh, Mickey Herman, and he would he showed how he captured the sound of the blaster, which is actually a combination of a bunch of different sounds, um, and he would take this metal rod and he would he would hold it in right hand and then he would hold the microphone in the left hand and then he would I don't know if he had them but uh, I I would probably put uh, like the seismic sensors on the wire itself but that might damage the sound so I might not do that but he would take a metal rod and he would just tap the metal wire which is a it's a uh if you don't know uh, the telephone or the sorry the satellite tower had like these supporting cables and they were braided uh like steel cabling that you would see like on bridges and stuff like that and it was probably like a this one was probably like half inch wire but at that tension and that length it created like the perfect frequency to make the sci-fi uh like ping sound uh that you would hear um every time a blaster went off in star wars um, that was just one example of all of the amazing sounds that um, Ben Burr has created. And now that we're talking about it, I'm just going to pull out this book uh, that J.W. Rinsler uh, created called The Sounds of Star Wars, which was actually given to me by Colin. It was Colin's book originally, and then I wanted to look into it. So I took it. Um, and I'm trying to find... Okay, here it is. So, like, for instance, here is... Um, the the tauntauns that are uh, on Hoth. Uh, there, I'm just going to read this excerpt from the book. It says, To get around on the planet Hoth, rebels uh, ride beasts called tauntauns, uh, which they've adapted for extreme cold. The tauntauns' voice is mostly a little sea otter named Moda I recorded at a game farm up near Seattle, Bert says. Uh, the Asian sea otters utterances were later pitched down a little for final tauntaun sounds so that squealing like yelp that you hear coming out of a tauntaun is actually a asian sea otter which was recorded at um a facility in, uh, just north of seattle washington um and that's crazy <laughs> that he went he went uh to Seattle to record a sea otter for a tauntaun. To me, that's insane. To get, I mean, it's awesome. Obviously, it paid out in the end. But uh, yeah, he, he he would travel around the world looking for sounds. Uh, he could find them in the sound studio uh, that they had at Lucasfilm, or you could find them in his house, obviously, or you could find them in the garbage down the street. He would find them everywhere, which is why he carried his uh, recording equipment everywhere he went because a lot of the time um, he would not be looking for more sounds, but he would find them um, or they would find him uh, in some ways. And it's just another way that the production team of Star Wars itself is extremely creative and are very ingenuitive. And it all comes back to how George Lucas runs his team which I think is a very amazing and impressive way because um, when it came to the production aspects, even when it came to um, uh, what's it called? The, when they were talking about like w before they actually began filming in the production aspects, um, George Lucas really let his team, his production team have a lot of free reign. Like they got to design a lot of their own stuff. Like, um, Joe Johnson's uh, sketches of um, the original designs of uh, the walkers that we see in the Battle of Hoth are crazy. Like, here's one that I'm looking at. Um, it This one's on tracks. Like, it's a walker, and it looks like it has a harpoon gun coming out of the center. 
and the snow troopers that are walking next to him look like samurai. It's just crazy concepts that we've never, that we never saw put into production, but we imagine what they could have been are the different realities and different versions of star Wars that never were put into, put into production. So it was really cool. And it's also that I think that's also under the same article that I mentioned earlier um, uh, with um, on starwars.com. Um, and it's just really cool to see all of the production aspects. Me, I personally geek out every time. Every time you see anything that has to do with visual effects, uh, director of photography, uh, sound production, anything to do with post-production or pre-production, I love. Um, well, I do love the filming itself, obviously, but the amount of time that goes into a set before you actually start filming on that set is like 10 to 1. It's insane. Because, I mean, I meant, like, just imagine if you were in a musical and you have three month production period where you would rehearse, start building sets, costumes, uh, rehearse more, all that jazz. Um, and then you have uh, two weekends worth of shows. That's like uh, four to six, maybe eight shows. So you spent 120 days preparing for six to eight evenings. And then it's over like that. It's the same concept applied to the filming industry, except for it is amped up times 20 because they have a lot more money, a lot more space, a lot more time. Because uh, in a musical, you could have three months to two years, depending on your level. Like, I don't know if you're like Broadway or like community theater. But anyway, um, you have producers and you have giant teams and uh sets and crews and cast members and there's so much more that goes into a film than goes into a musical but not a lot they're 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 very similar in a lot of ways um which is why i like both because i came from a, a theatrical background and then i moved into a filming background um and that's the same with a lot of uh theater and production majors and um anyone who's in the acting industry they most of them start with stage and then move into film. Um, so that's why I'm constantly attracted to the, the production aspects of Star Wars, and which is why you will always hear me uh, praising uh, the production aspects of Star Wars, because George Lucas just let his team have a lot of free reign. And it's very evident in um, articles such as this, when they look back on Empire Strikes Back, and they talk about all the things that happened back then, like like what went down not in a bad way, but like, this is what a walker could have looked like. A walker could have been in a tank's tread formation, but George Lucas said he wanted it bigger. And then eventually it, the AT-AT walker was born. And then another funny part of this article that I was talk, reading right here was um, uh, the ATST walker was originally given the the name of the uh, the chicken walker. Uh, which was dubbed that by uh, Joe Johnson. Uh, and it was like, he said that in the process of designing the four-legged walker, I was looking at a lot of uh, reference on military vehicles so I could familiarize myself with the texture, uh, the way that parts all are put together, and how a lot of stuff is built at an angle uh, so the bullets would bounce off and stuff like that, which is obviously been put into effect when you look at the the structure of a lot of Star Wars um, type design ships and transports of the ATS Walker. It's obviously it's angular. Um, the cockpit has not, I mean, they have flat surfaces, but they're angled so that they can uh, deflect uh, blasts from um, the enemy, obviously. But then they also have like shielding and stuff like that, that we don't have in this world yet. <laughs> but, um, so it's really cool to see how George Lucas allows his team and then how and then to see how his team actually does it. Because Joe Johnson's like, I got my inspiration from uh, military vehicles and chickens and stuff like that. And Ben Burtt's like, yeah, I got my inspiration from a dumpster and uh, 
Ooh, a satellite tower. Yeah. How about you? Um, where'd you get your inspiration from? And it's, it's, it's weird stuff like that. Um, people like Joe Johnson, uh, Dennis Murren, Ben Burt, uh, Richard Edlund, those guys are the reason why Star Wars is so magical because of what they did all the way back in the original trilogy. Um, I say that now, I'll say it again. Um, I stand by it. Um, and then another thing that I wanted to talk about uh, when it came to the production aspects of uh, The Empire Strikes Back um, is um, our favorite honey hunter, Boba Fett. Um, and another article, which is posted, I, th- uh, it's, I think it's on StarWars.com. Yes. Where they uh, talked about how Joe Johnston approached the design concepts of Boba Fett. And um, I didn't do a whole bunch of reading, but I skimmed it. I'm not going to lie to you. And the origin story of Boba Fett actually originates around the idea of a Imperial Super Trooper, is what they called it, a Super Trooper. No, I'm not talking about the ABBA song, even though that song bops. I am talking about um, a... Um, a advanced version of a stormtrooper. Um, and the design concept of that you may have seen before, uh, it's, it basically looks like Boba Fett, but all white. And then it has like a, like a red triangle above its head or its eye or its faceplate. Uh, and a lot of people will say that they're like, that's the original concept of Boba Fett. And then it, I'm, I'm like, it's actually the original concept, uh, painting for a super trooper, which is supposed to be an Imperial trooper. It was never meant to be a bounty hunter, mercenary space pirate. You know what I mean? And then they, but they, they didn't use that design. Joe Johnson said, this is cool. And then put it in a filing cabinet. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And then pulled it out later because he needed a bounty hunter that looked B.A. And he used original design concepts from the initial 1978 Boba Fett costume, um, which I believe they actually have like a, a video. like like It's like the initial, the original Boba Fett, but I think they just, I think they labeled that wrong because it's not original Boba Fett. It was a concept, which is actually a concept of a concept. And I'm like, okay. Let's... And then there are evolutions of every character. And Joe Johnson went through many evolutions of Boba Fett um, when, it, when it went from white. And then it went to like uh, this Western looking one where he's wearing like a poncho and you're like, okay. They still got the spikes on his boots, which I think are very important. Um, and then we get closer to the, desi- to the design that we see today uh, with Boba Fett, you know, with um, his uh, green and red uh, like armor, which is very iconic now. And, you know, all the equipment that he has on his forearm that he has access to and the Mandalorian armor that he that he sports. And it's all just kind of. um nostalgic when I look at it here, but I really like to see the, how we, how we got to where we are. You know, I like turning around and looking back at the path that I just walked. And it's the same with star Wars. I want to see, I know what star Wars is today. I know what Boba Fett looks like, but I want to know what Boba Fett either could have looked like or earlier versions of him, you know, cause, uh, 
every care every single character that we've seen in Star Wars has been thought about from like at least like twenty different like points of view. Like like if you look at the original design concepts for uh Jar Jar Banks, you might be a little scared. Um or just background characters. Like Lucasfilms has like a library of of visual uh data on just background Star Wars characters that are like random races and shapes and colors and sizes that he, that they can pull from at any time. Be like, okay, I want 30 different species uh, in the background of this cantina scene. And then they'll go into this library and then they'll pull out those design readouts and then they'll apply them to like the animation inspector. And then they'll attach them to living bodies or they'll use CGI to recreate the already made designs that they've had. So, I mean, just imagine being uh, at uh, um, Lucasfilm and then you're like an intern. They're like, hey, uh, come up with 30 designs of aliens. I don't care what they look like. And then at the end of those 30, the supervisor will pick 10 of them and then just shove them in a filing cabinet. And then they might get used. They might not get used. That's the that's the adventure of being in the production business. But I just love seeing what things were to what they are today. And that's a really, really exciting thing to me. You know what I mean? Which is why I talk about it all the time. I talk about the production aspects of films, Star Wars, and not all of the time. And if you've ever heard me talk on a podcast before, you know that. Um, which is why it's no problem for me to go solo and rant about the production aspects of a Star Wars film. And even in the back of my head, I can hear like Colin, like laughing at me and then wanting to say something about Max Rebo. And then I'm like, Colin, stop. That's happening. And then because I just said that aloud, I mentioned um, Max Rebo. Now I'm in trouble with myself, but I'll talk to that later <laughs> because that's not for right now. Um, so looking back on Empire Strikes Back on the 40th anniversary, there's just so much love that I have for the film itself. And rewatching the film um, is always an exciting thing for me because Empire Strikes Back is my favorite Star Wars film of all time. Um, and I just remember it takes me back to when I was a kid all the time. And every time I watch the film, I notice something that I didn't before. And I love that about watching films over again like that. Like, I remember the first time I saw the original Tron, um, I was flabbergasted by the technology of the time. Because I was, I think I was, I was like 10 or 11. I was really young when I watched the original Tron for the first time. And even at that age, I was, I still understood that, um, that technology in this film is revolutionary for the time period that it was produced. Um, and just seeing that it was, it was made by Disney and that it was, it was a live action film, but it had a lot of technology and, and animation and stop motion and stuff like that. And then to see that same kind of uh, technology implemented into my favorite uh, franchise of all time, which is Star Wars with stop motion, and then finding out later in my life that Star Wars was actually a revolutionary um, franchise for a lot of reasons. Uh, number one, because it's BA, you know, because it's a good, it's good, but also because of the production, um, like how they filmed it is what made it so revolutionary because the film industry was like, what? You can do this? Yeah, you can do this. That's what George Lucas said. He's like, yeah, you can do it right now. And then they started doing it. Which is why Star Wars is so revered in the film industry. Um, and I know that a lot of people, especially around me, get tired of hearing it. Hearing Star Wars talk, hearing about how Star Wars is this revolutionary uh, concept, this world outside of this world, you know what I mean? But um, it's more than that. 
Um, and I know I could be repetitive and I will be as repetitive as I want to in front of you guys because you want to hear it, <laughs> but my mom might not want to hear it at family dinner on Sunday. So I guess I'll just talk about it here with you guys. Is that okay? I think it's okay. But when I rewatched the film, I got to thinking, this is my favorite Star Wars movie. But what's my favorite Star Wars scene in this movie? Um, and then I got into looking into other people's opinions and what other people think are the um, best scene in Empire Strikes Back. So my question to you is, what do you think your favorite scene in the Empire Strikes Back is? Um, there are, have been a couple different uh, submissions. <laughs> Uh, a number one, which was uh, submitted by Kristen uh, Baber, which is uh, the deeper understanding of the Force, which is the first lesson that Yoda gives to Luke on Dagobah, uh, his speech over the power of the Force, um, how it uh, flows through us, and the way the Force works, it's the greater understanding um, of the, the mysterious, uh, this mysterious invisible energy that no one can see. But if you believe and you have the power to manipulate and control this power and this energy, then you are Jedi. Um, and then, then Yoda goes back. He goes back to the OG times, like what the Jedi Order was supposed to be before war and before um, we used uh, Jedi as tools. You know, so and it was really great for me. And I, I agree with Kristen in that way because I, like I said earlier, I love the high Republic era and how the Jedi order was when it was a Jedi order and not a military general creating factory. But I love to hear and see that the original concepts of the Jedi order are still being implemented well after um, the Jedi order doesn't exist anymore via through Yoda. And, um, and when I first, when I, when I see it, I always like, I'm thinking, I was like, I really hope Luke holds on to this knowledge. And he does. And then, uh, it went up before, like, the, the, uh, new trilogy came out with, with, uh, the, uh, Force Awakens and those three, I, um, was always thinking, did Luke ever spread his knowledge? Did he ever teach a new generation of, uh, Jedi? And I, that question was obviously answered. It was not answered the way that I wanted it to be. I wanted the Jedi to have like a comeback story at least, but no, because Ben Solo had to be emotional or something. I don't know. Um, but I'm not going to talk about that right now. <laughs> I just, that's a, it's a very good scene that this, the first teaching that Yoda does with Luke Skywalker on Dagobah is a very good scene. Uh, so I agree with you, Kristen. Uh, another one um, is the Battle of Hoth itself. It was, um, this was sent in by Dan Brooks. Um, it said, he says, it changed my taste in film. Um, and at first it, it uh, starts, it's mentioning uh, the battle itself of Hoth. Um, and it's, um, it's one of those first parts of the film where you see the bad guy lose. Because if you recall the Battle of Hoth, not the Empire pooped on them. Like, they fled within an hour of the Empire being on the ground. Um, it's obviously because they were outgunned and outmatched because uh, the rebels... They work uh, stealth. They work in small numbers. They work fast. And the rebel can't match the magnitude, size, and strength of the Empire on the battleground. And it was very evident in the Battle of Hoth. And in the filming industry, again, very different for the first major battle scene you see in a film. For the bad guys to not only lose, but lose, like, everything. They lost their base. A lot of people died on the way out. Um, the only success story was that frickin' ball cannon that they had launching to get the transports away. That's the only time they were celebrating. 
It probably shouldn't have been. It should have been working, but whatever. Not my, not, not my place. Um, so yes, I agree with Dan. I love the Battle of Hoth. It's also revolutionary in the fact that the stop motion that they used with the, the model sets that, uh, um, that we see be built, um, with, uh, Phil, uh, Tippett and Joe Johnson. Uh, Phil Tippett was the, um, props master, I believe. Oh, stop motion master. Yeah. So he was in charge of like, um, anything you see stop motion, he was working on it. So that includes, um, all the, any of the large ships, the ATAC walkers, uh, some of the Tauntaun action, most all of the Tauntaun action actually. But, uh, yeah. And then like Dennis Murren, obviously, uh, he was working beside Phil Tippett with the stop motion stuff. So those, that, that is a good scene to, um, think of as one of your favorites because it's very action packed, very revolutionary, um, very eye opening. Uh, another submission was by Megan Krause, which was the Luke Skywalker, uh, facing his fear, uh, and, um, facing Darth Vader on, um, Cloud City. And that is a very iconic scene, the battle between those two, um, because, um, it's the first time that we see those two crossing blades. Um, it's also the very iconic Luke, I am your father, uh, scene. Uh, we see Luke, uh, he ends up needing a hand at the end of it. Um, all kinds of stuff like that. <laughs> I'm laughing at my own joke. Luke needs a hand guys. And then uh, that, that whole scene right there is just very revolutionary. And I, Completely agree. Megan Krause, you were right. Um, James Floyd, uh, was mentioning Chewie's sad lament right, uh, prior to, uh, uh, Han Solo being, um, put in carbo, carbon, uh, carbon freezing. That's what it is. Um, carbon, yeah, before he's frozen. So like that big yell he lets out after he's frozen and I don't know. That's his favorite scene. I, I mean, I like that scene. I don't know if I'd mark it as my favorite because that scene, he's being like frozen. I don't know if that's the best thing to happen in that film. But being frozen in carbonite is not my favorite. But it's a good scene. Um, Jen Fujikawa, I think I said that right, um, said that being able to see new planets was her favorite part of The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, planets such as Dagobah, Hoth, um, Bespin, uh, Cloud City inside of Bespin. Those are all planets that have not been seen before. And it's really cool to see them, uh, for the first time in the Empire Strikes Back, uh, way back when. So seeing new, and that's, uh, that's my favorite in anything Star Wars related. Anytime I get to see a new Star Wars planet inside the Star Wars galaxy, I'm excited. So I agree with you, Jen Fujikawa. Uh, Jimmy Green said it gave us so many cool toys, which is true. Um, I have a couple original Empire Strikes Back toys, um, that are in display around my house and they are very cool. I love looking at them. I love the history that's attached to them. Some of them were given to me by my father. Um, they are great collectibles and I'm sure even back then in the 1980s, eight year old Tommy was loving playing with that toy set that Hoth, Battle of Hoth toy set. Really cool. Um, die cast toys, uh, have always been a passion of mine. And those are really, I have, um, original, um, I think it was, I think it's Empire Strikes Back or a new hope version of a star destroyer, uh, uh, die cast model. Um, it's missing the, the main step, uh, the mask or the control, it's like the, the top, you know, you know what I'm talking about. It was made of plastic, but the rest of it was made of metal. And then somewhere along its life, the mast broke off. So I have everything but that. I also do not have the Republic trans or the, uh, uh, Tantive IV. I don't have that. It was supposed to come out of the, uh, the slot where the hanger is on the bottom. No, it's, it's not. It, the model I have is from A New Hope. 
That's what from. Um, Brie uh, Lavorgna, Lavagna said that the Organa solo hallway shenanigan uh, just after the in- first invasion of Hoth on the battle station, right when they were like talking and he's like, you have feelings for me, admit it. And you know, that kind of, she said, that's her favorite scene. Um, I think it's a very funny scene. Um, most of us don't talk about the humor that we see inside of the Empire Strikes Back when we talk about the film, because most of the film is not funny. It's uh, very serious. There's a lot going on. Uh, crazy stuff's going on. Crazy, crazy. Uh, Mark Newbold loves, uh, that it gave us Boba Fett and a whole lineup of bounty hunters uh, in the scene with uh, all the bounty hunters, including IG-88, Boba Fett. Um, um, what's his name? Bosk. Um, and a couple others that I can't recall more. But yeah, it was. I really love uh, bounty hunters. I love the whole idea that goes behind it, too. It's really cool. Um, there are a couple others. There's countless others that I could mention, but I think my favorite scene would probably be the Yoda scene, the do or do not, there is no try or size matters not scenes with Yoda. Those are probably my favorite. Um, but if we're talking like cinematic film kind of stuff, I really love the battle of Hoth. And I also love the cave scene on Dagobah with Luke, um, and Darth Vader slash Luke, because it actually turns out to be him at the end. But yes, I love those scenes the most out of Empire Strikes Back. Those are like tied for top two. Um, I guess top three because I mentioned three of them just now. Um, and that pretty much wraps up my conversation with the Empire Strikes Back. Um, but I have more good news, um, uh, including shoutouts from that we got way back when we did our uh, Boba Fett uh, helmet giveaway that we did on Instagram. Don't worry if you didn't get in the first one. We will be doing it again soon. Maybe not with the Boba Fett helmet, but we will be doing it again soon with something. Um, so I have four shout-outs today, and I apologize that I do not have your real names. These are your Instagram tag accounts. So if you hear your name, give yourself a whoop. If you're in your car, give yourself a little honk. And if you're not, then just say whoop. Um, Anna underscore Marshall underscore L- Lily Perk. Um, I also have Ro Flores 42, uh, Rao, Rowan Hunter, and Lego Lover 31. Those four are receiving a great shout out for being continuous fans of the Star Wars Stuff podcast and for participating in our Instagram giveaway for the 40th anniversary Black Series Boba Fett helmet. Um, and the person who won that actually lives in the UK, and uh, he should be receiving it very soon. And I can't wait to get a picture of him wearing his Boba Fett helmet that he won in our Star Wars Stuff podcast giveaway. Um, if you haven't participated in the Star Wars Stuff podcast giveaways before, uh, don't worry. There will be plenty more in the future. We love doing them. We love the participation. Um, so just uh, go follow our Instagram uh, the Star Wars Stuff Podcast. You can also like us on Facebook. Um, and we also have a YouTube channel. Um, if you haven't joined our Patreon, we are uploading exclusive Patreon-only content. We just released uh, an Empire Strikes Back uh, video um, exclusive for only Patreon uh, members. So you can go take a look at that. We also have... Uh, we're in the works of the... A, the original prequels, uh, we're doing a uh, behind-the-scenes and um, in-depth look at the, the prequel. The, the, the series is called The Pristine Prequels. There are also many um, other podcasts that are Patreon-exclusive. So I invite you to please check that out. We have many different tiers that you can uh, sign up for. Um, and well, I have one more thing I wanted to talk about today, which was... Um, we actually, uh, we also lost someone in the, uh, Star Wars, uh, universe. Uh, Charlie Lippincott, uh, who was the uh, vice president of advertising, publicity, promotion, and merchandising, um, for George Lucas and Lucasfilm, uh, passed away this past week. And, uh, we just wanted to 
let everyone know and uh, share and mourn his loss uh, and celebrate his life in Star Wars. And I just wanted, just wanted to keep him in your thoughts. That pretty much wraps up everything that I would love to talk about today. Um, there's always more that I'd love to talk about with you. Um, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, go ahead and message us on Facebook or uh, Instagram. Definitely be paying attention to our Instagram in the next couple weeks. Um, we also have a tech doc down, so get on it. All right, thank you so much for listening. Uh, again, uh, as long as you keep listening, we'll keep talking. Uh, may the force be with you, always. <laughs>